Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. Now, before you get excited, some stuff has happened recently, and Haxorzilla will no longer be attending recording. Um, there were some discrepancies behind the scenes that turned out uh, Haxor could no longer uh, record with us, and he is no longer affiliated with us. Luckily, we have found somebody brand new. On Discord, he is known as Close Crowd. Uh, how you doing today? Good. Good. Um, and I'm your host, E.T., as always, and my co-host now is... Uh, Jay. Well, um, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. And, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, give us some background on how you got into tokusatsu and sci-fi, maybe what your favorite movie is. Well, since I was, uh, young... I first watched Final Wars over at my cousin's house back when I was at least five, or when I was uh, visiting. I was, uh, I was playing around and such with some Godzilla toys back in the day, and I was having fun with some figures um, what figures were they can you recall yes uh they were bandai figures uh which ones also bandai japan or bandai creation bandai japan and do you remember what monsters they were yeah uh one of them was a godzilla bandai figure other one was uh, Rodan, and was it 2004? Yes. Awesome. Uh, so what else uh, got you into the genre of tokusatsu? Well, when I started uh, watching some older films for a bit over by my co- uh, cousins, I didn't really have anything over at my mom's house back in the day, so. I had to start going once in a while to visit my cousin just to look at some old stuff that he used to have in his closet and such. Just entertain me for a while and have fun with certain things. And then I started getting... I started having other interests as well because I found one of his uh, distant... The shelves. I believe it was called Advent Children. Yeah, it was Final Fantasy Advent Children. Got me very interested, though. I really love the story behind it and its characters. I have not heard that. I I have no idea what you're talking about there. But we may have to talk about that. I'm. It was a movie, right? Oh yeah. It's behind the game. It's based behind the Final Fantasy genre. That explains it. Uh, if anybody's new listening, or if I haven't said this enough on the podcast already, I'm not a gamer. I'm the worst nerd of all time. I have no idea what we're talking about when we discuss video games. So, there's some... 
so what else? Uh, what's your favorite movie uh, that you've seen for Godzilla and maybe your favorite movie of all time or something? Well, I used to watch 007 back in the day. Big fan of the 007 films. One of them was called uh, Spectre. I believe I still have a copy of the 007 film in my uh, collection somewhere, my DVD collection. Maybe it was Spectre and Nightfall, but I believe it was either of the two. And what was your favorite Godzilla I think it's more... My favorite Godzilla movie was basically my childhood film, uh, Final Wars, because I've grown up with that movie since for like a very long time. I've been watching all the other types of films because of it, and because of that film, I got so interested into sci-fi and such. Now... What kind of stopped me from being able to watch more Godzilla films was uh, 1998. That turned me off in most ways because it wasn't really Godzilla. And I didn't like how Monster was portrayed in that film. It felt like it wasn't really a monster at all or something that was supposed to bring... um, more of the wrath of like nature of such i just feel like it didn't emanate anything at all from that Hmm. interesting um i can i can get behind that uh so you were saying specter is your favorite movie of all time correct oh no 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 no. i was just talking about uh what i used to watch before Final Wars is definitely my favorite back in the childhood days. But for now, for like all time, is like 2019. Like definitely, I love 2019 film. Brought me back to like nostalgia for like a bunch, like a whole lot of Godzilla films back in the day. You're referring to King of the Monsters, right? Yes. Okay, I got you. I was a little confused and I'm like, that could be Endgame, that could be Far From Home, that could be Captain Marvel, that could be It Chapter 2, Joker, you know, so many films. Uh, okay, yeah. 2019, King of the Monsters, I can give you that. Uh, so, uh, I guess that's pretty good entrance. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to introduce the people at home to you about? Yes, I started getting into horror films when I first watched alien films. Uh, My uh, relatives got scared of it at the time in their teenage years. And it's (laughs) very special to me as well because the very first uh, alien film I kind of (laughs) watched. I know it's like quite controversial, but I just watched Aliens Covenant which was ironic because it came out the first day on my birthday. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, I know you weren't just here for the past episodes, but uh, I want to say it was the first week of October. Uh, we actually discussed um, horror, and uh, in there I also expressed my love for horror 
and I respect it as a genre. So definitely I can see eye to eye with you there on how the horror movie genre is and should be treated. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to say? I believe that's all I got for now. Okay. Well then, um, great, great idea bringing up Alien, because as you can tell by the title of this episode, we will be doing our first ever commentary. Now, uh, I do want to quickly say I've wanted to do a commentary on here for a long 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 time I've wanted to do a commentary for about seven months so it's awesome that we can finally get um and it's October so horror is a big thing right now and why not just do one of the greatest horror films of all time even though it's also and sci-fi it does fall under the horror genre as uh jay said alien directed by ridley scott first release may 25th 1979 um so here in a little bit we will do a countdown i'll just quickly say five four three two one zero and when i say zero we will press play on the zero zero mark and we will just discuss the film some facts we found and uh, overall our thoughts and opinions of the movie then when we're done we will discuss the film for about five to ten minutes and we will finish things up here for this week so uh jay do you have your uh version of the movie at the zero zero mark yes awesome uh personally i am watching it on the 20th Century Fox Signature Collector's Editions, whatever. Uh, this is the theatrical cut, not the director's cut. I want to stress that now. Uh, if you want to know the difference, uh, director's cut is longer than the theatrical. The theatrical cut is 1 hour and 56 minutes, 30 seconds. So if it's above that, then you have the director's cut, which is oh, slightly superior version in my opinion but we'll discuss that later on while watching the movie so i guess we'll go ahead and get things started uh get ready to press play in five four three two one zero and uh i don't know about you but the 20th century fox logo is now on screen is that correct jay Definitely. I kind of miss this logo so much. Brought back yes, so many memories. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny how they never remastered the logo for this movie. It's always been the original. I love that. And here we have a very suspenseful and quiet uh, title sequence. I believe that unlike most films where they like to build up to this huge, big amazing logo this one just takes its time introduces you to all the characters as the title alien slowly fades in one line now as i've said this film opened may 25th 1979 as of this year uh 2019 
It has been out for 40 years. It had a budget of $11 million, and this came out after Star Wars, which Star Wars also had an $11 million budget. Unlike Star Wars, though, this one did not go as well as Star Wars. Um, actually, another fun fact is Harrison Ford was going to originally play Dallas instead of Tom uh, Garrett, I can't say. But, uh, yeah, kind of interesting how in a post-Star Wars world we had films like this that I would say are better than the original Star Wars. But, uh, do you have anything to say now that the title is fully revealed, Jay? Yeah, I like the ambience where it's heading into the space scene with everything else going straight to the space station. It really does bring that mood and more of a high tone that this is going to be something that's dark, something that's going to be mainly based on horror, sci-fi, and something is going to happen throughout this whole movie. And it also yeah. shows you a lot more what the space station looks like what and how many parts it has on it. Kind of looks cool as well, too, because it looks more like an apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic one rather than like the ones that we have now, in like CG and the other alien films and such. Yeah, and now that it's gone inside and we're starting to see the innards, I do like how it gives it a very claustrophobic feel. The way the camera moves, you know, it's going around the bars. It's it's really showing that you are very much encapsulated in this place you know the walls are kind of low the the or not the walls the ceiling is kind of low the walls are a little bit cramped you know there's not as much movement in here as you would think for a futuristic space station and i love the retro looking uh computer systems here uh, you can really tell on set design they put a lot of time and effort into this film. Not only that, but with the design of the hallways too. They try to keep it more realistic as well as sci-fi. But yes. also they tend to keep the whole environment enclosed so that way they could feel like the whole environment is cramped up or whatever when chases happens in this game, I mean, <laughs> in this film. Yes. And I do like how these uh, space, uh, the helmets kind of hint towards the facehugger slightly. And I do quickly want to just say, we're already four minutes into this film, and we haven't heard one single line of dialogue. I think this kind of sets the tone that this is very here. All we have is Mother or the computer setting up uh, the film, but we don't understand all of it quite yet. And we also um, get the I... name of the ship as well as included on the screen, Nostromo. Yes. And I believe, yes, it cuts here, and uh, as the lights turn on, a siren, I believe, starts going well, no, not not yet. Uh, but no, not now yet, we're but... starting, we're starting to you know go around that corridor, and we're going to be introduced to our character. 
in the cryogenics like, room. Yes, and I do like how they have two random shirts just hanging there. I don't know why they're there. Uh, did, <laughs> did somebody hang it up before, you know, going into the cryo tube? I'm pretty uh, sure it's a changed set of clothes because of the effects of cryogenesis after having to get out of the pods. Because a lot of sci-fi movies tend to say that there's a, like a side effect whenever you get out out of the uh, cryopods, and you just either like get nausea or start vomiting or something of the sorts. But it's well, basically I mean, like a giant refrigerator for your body. Yeah, it's yeah, something exactly. that's supposed to stop time, like freeze your whole body, so that way your body won't age. It's an age yeah, degradation. Yeah, and Basically. I think when you think about it, the human body would definitely have to warm back up and kind of recuperate after sleeping for at least a decade. And here we have John Hurt, the first of the crew to wake up. Uh, this is the... This character uh, was actually not supposed to... Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of Dallas. I don't... Yeah, you are. <laughs> Uh, as you can see here, like we said, the character is very much a little bit dazed and confused and kind of nauseated right now on what's going on. But, uh... Well, he's he, not confused, he's, not... he's just has nausea and such from having to get out of the cryopod. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I don't... They don't realize it yet, but they find out that, yeah, they were woken up a little early, and they're probably wondering what's gone on uh, while they were So, here we are, seven minutes in, and we're finally getting an actual gush. Uh, I definitely feel like the score used to kind of insinuate and the sound effect really insinuated a mysterious feel. Uh, and I do like how these characters, we don't get a whole lot of their backstory, but we can kind of get from it how these people are not good people. They are just there for the money, because it's their job, and they want to get it over with, and they want to go on to the thing. Uh, it's basically I... their job description. They're there yeah. only to be colonizers fighting. Uh, they're trying to find worlds that humans could like colonize on places I that believe, I believe I don't think they were colonizing I'm pretty sure they just ship uh, freight from earth to a colony and I don't think they actually well yeah that's part of the description as well I I'm probably thinking of Covenant right now but yeah they they're part of a shipping company. Well, not really a shipping company, but they're part of a mega corporation, which will you? Well, yeah. Which you'll most likely know later on into the film. Yeah, and I they do reference that a lot that they're just doing what the company tells them to do because they're under contract, so they have to. And real quick, I do want to say I love well, the room lot, mothers that's in. A, that's a uh, lot of mothers. I don't know if those are all buttons, but I love the design of this room. And I love how you hear the sound of the clicking and 
you know, everything. It's just... This really is a claustrophobic room, and it gives me Star Wars feeling. I don't know why. I think it's all the lights and stuff. This is amazing, and I love how it cuts from them typing to the screen and everything. I think that's a very interesting cutaway. Um, and I do love the sequence here where they're all getting ready to go finally get back to Earth, and then they find out they were woken up too early because it is not the correct solar. Yeah, the cockpit but, uh, scene is very interesting as well because you get to see how everything functions and such in the Nostromo. Plus with the scene with this shot, like the Nostromo is huge. It's more like a space station rather than just an actual ship. But yeah, it's supposed I to be believe... a ship. I believe it's called a Star Freighter. So imagine like a cargo ship, but bigger because it's a spaceship. It's, it's kind of like a moving uh, international space. I guess that's what you could call it. Uh, so yeah, here we have them and you can tell by the look on John Hurt's face, they are confused to what's going on. Uh, and why they were woken up. Uh, and here I think we also get, uh, so I, I like how this kind of sets up the idea that, yes, these people are just here to get their pay and go. Not, not here, but when we cut to Parker and Brett's scene, they're always asking, what can we get bonuses? What's the money we're getting paid for? It really shows that these characters are not just good characters. They're there because they're company people. They want a paycheck. They're just regular class workers trying to get money in their pay jobs, basically. Yes. Um, and here we finally understand that there is a beacon going on in SOS. Uh, that they now need to check out because under contract they have to do that. Um, and I think you can tell on the faces of all the actors here, they are all very confused. Except for Ash, which we'll talk why Ash is not confused later. But uh, Well, that's because it's all the way out in unknown space and unknown territory. There's no known colony for miles away from or light years to Earth. True. And as you can see here, Parker is just worried about if we get some money or bonus, we'll we'll do it. And then uh, Dallas kind of shuts him down as he says, "Well, by contract, you have to. You're doing it." But, uh, and, you know, like here, you can completely see that these characters are not perfect with each other. They, they butt heads and they... It's more so of a loose and co-worker relationship. They're all only there for getting the money and there to do their jobs. But they have to follow by the obliged contract, which most likely they all sign their names on. 
yada, 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 you got to do this, or you won't be getting any money, you won't be getting any of the bonuses, yada, 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 you do this, do that, follow the darn contract, or you won't be getting uh, And here we have them leaving Star Freighter a bit to check out the mysterious SOS. As you can see, down right now. As they slowly, this sweet this sequence is really good because they had detached the the uh, cockpit ship, the uh, freighter dropship, I believe it was uh, miniature cargo ship. Not really, but a medium size for the station and such, well, and the. I mean, it is all done with miniatures and wire work and hydraulics, so yeah, you're right. And this is the part where it excites me, because it's showing a view of the planet. Which I almost yeah. thought it was going to be some sort of weird, odd, barren planet. Kind of reminds me now, since I'm in the developed age, it looks like Felucia from Star Wars, basically. But it's with a different type of atmosphere, which will you, which you will see in the movie, and quite a yeah. bit. So now, yeah, this is the this is a beautiful shot. The one that just happened. It was of the planet in outer space. They're kind of re replicating there for a second, and it's just it is beautiful. The cinematography in this is really good. Um. They really did not waste time making this trying to show beauty, horror, the lighting and all of that. It's just, I think it fits perfectly. Um, and here we have our first bit of suspense as the aircraft is shaking. Everybody is kind of on their tipped, tippy toes, just kind of like, what's going on? And here we have the sounds of metal cracking losing the shield apparently so you know most likely from already... the rough turbulence of the atmosphere and from yes. basically all the uh more rough turbulence and such from the uh planet's current condition with the weather yes and i i really love this because it shows that yes they're very futuristic but no they are not so advanced that they can easily, you know, land on planets whenever they want. There are still issues when they land. And it really does set this in a realistic world. Uh, other than the fact that the uh, computers are very pixelated, everything kind of seems like what it would be for a futuristic spaceship. And this is a beautiful landing ship. How, you know, the lighting's behind it, you have the lights on the spaceship, smoke and steam. It just, it looks so nice, and you can't tell if it's on wires or what exactly it is on. And I think that is just amazing how they were able Uh, and here they have finally landed on the planet, and now they can go about their business after a large alarm blaring sound goes off 
and everything goes hack. And a bunch of damage, apparently, as well. Systems yes. seem to be popping off from the landing, and it seems the atmosphere, or like, from the uh, terrain must have been rough enough for everything to drop back and break apart. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if they really explain why they do it, uh, other or why it happened. Uh, but here we have Parker explaining what's going on, uh, and it doesn't sound good. They're even saying that they can't fix it, uh, that they need some time, uh, and yeah, they're, they're, I, you can kind of see here that they are also making stuff up, uh, and I believe... Here in a second, they ask how long you need before, yeah, how long, uh, 17 hours, Brett says, and then Parker replies 25 hours. So, you know, it's, you know, you can kind of see where they're even screwing over their own, uh, team members because, you know, they don't want to be rushed stuff. They're going to take their sweet time and they're going to draw it out as long as it can. Now this goes you know, in this oh, goes into the part where you know the planet is barren and that something is definitely wrong. Like no communications are being pulled in. No one is saying anything. And everything seems totally damp and dark. The yeah. planet's more barren, there's no life, only just rocks and stuff, and everything seemingly is dead. Mm. Yep, every, yeah, it's very much a, we're out in the middle of nowhere and we have nothing. Uh, and, you know, there's one thing I'm wondering. Are they so advanced that the air they make is easily uh, filterable so they can have uh, cigarettes while in the space station? Like, wouldn't that ruin the air? No, they have most likely filtering vents and uh, ventilation regressors or something that filters out uh, impurities for the airs and such. And most likely they have like a life support system for that as well. Yeah, probably. And I love the sound of the wind. It's very eerie. I think that's one of the great, one of the amazing sound effects used. Um, and here, I love this. We get to see Ash is acting very weird here. I don't know of a human being that would do that before working on watching you know it's kind of funny how he acts here we have again the wind howling it's such great effects and i always laugh at this because they have such bulky spacesuits and we have so thin and slim spacesuits it's kind of funny to see these very bulky futuristic spacesuits 
what could have been the Yeah, the yeah, wind yeah. sets another tone that this is a different world. This is basically a hostile world, not really fit for human life, nor any sort of organism that would be able to cope with the terrain and the atmosphere and how the planet uh, copes with its own environment and such. So, yeah. How that's why i added in the part that there's that the land looks more desolate doesn't look live just looks dead nothing really looks like it's just a perfect little world just more of a place where it just is basically damp and dark Nothing good yeah, about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and even here, you can kind of see where they don't get along with each other. That, because uh, you know Ripley here doesn't really care about Brett and Parker. Hell, you know they kind of give each other uh, sarcasm, and you know don't really care you know they're they're just kind of whatever we're gonna get what we have to do to get our pay with you guys and it's clear that lambert can't see anything uh which i don't blame her the debris flying in the wind is so dense that you really can't see anything and uh i believe yeah we're about ready to get to the beautiful scene of them inside the spaceship. Uh, uh, UFO and... spaceship, to be precise. It's more of a sort of giant uh, older civilized ship than an actual sort of ship that anyone has ever known before. If you want to get precise, it's called a derelict spaceship. That's what it's referred to in the film. Uh, and oh, here we have the first appearance of Jonesy. Uh, the true star of Alien, uh, clearly. The cat's the best part. Um, but uh, yeah, here we are on the walls of the spaceship, as I'll refer to it. And, uh, you can really tell that the people here have never seen whatever this is. This is a whole new thing, and you can tell they're kind of worried about being... Oh, wait. No, I'm, I'm so far... Yeah, you're going way I too took far. The... Yeah. They're... Right now, they're just walking on the planet's surface, and they're kind of freaking out. And then there's a ship. There's <laughs> a ship. Yeah, they're, they're kind of... They're baffled. And Ash here, you know, he says, yes, I can see the ship, but I think he already knows what it is, even though he says he's never seen it. Uh, well, that's don't, a great re shot don't right reveal there. too much, E.T. You don't want to say anything to the audience and spoil it. 
Well, if you haven't seen the movie already, I don't know why you'd be listening to our commentary. True, true. It's been out for 40 years, and if you want to listen to a commentary, you should listen to the one on the DVD before you listen to ours, because we're just going to be kind of discussing the film and, you know, just going over what we think about it. And as about it the space jockey! <laughs> Uh, quick question. Why is it in the future they have such awful, uh, camera quality? <laughs> well, because company gotta pay cheap prices. They can't pay for advanced stuff. They gotta it's probably from cheap... China. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, Wayland Chitani is, is China, technically. And I love the miniature here for the spaceship. It is... They really put a lot of detail into the miniatures for the spaceship and, you know, the ground surface below and everything. They they paid attention to detail. Even the corridors on the spaceship are very detailed. Um, and here we have them going in one of the holes, sealing their fate for all eternity. Uh, so, I I guess we can take this time, uh, Jay, do you have any fun facts about anything we've seen so far? Yes, about the space jockey! They actually Well, before, show... before we get to that, uh, do you have anything you want to say about the camera angles and stuff right now being used to portray the spaceship, the innards? Yes, they try to show it in a first-person perspective a lot, which actually is good because you could feel like, oh, you're actually looking from the view at some points in the film from uh, one of the crew members here, and then you space out to see the more uh, ambience of the hall, like everything about the ship and what it looks like and how advanced and quite amazing the ship looks yes and speaking of it i get a very animalistic feeling from the way it looks it looks like they're going up what could be a spine or something it's a very naturalistic look for a spaceship it looks like it could be part of nature and not a machine but it is a machine though it feels more uh, cryptid in a way on how it's all sculpted and how it was built to be some sort of dropship carrier of some sort. Yes. And here we have Kane kind of, I think, mentally freaking out right now. Like, uh, what is going on? Um, and this, uh, before we talk about it, the score right here is amazing. It is beautiful. I love this score. Uh, and here we have the first appearance of the space jockey. So, Jay, go ahead and say what you were going to say about the beautiful space jockeys that we have here. Well, also known as the Prometheans, supposedly are uh, in, the in the Aliens universe the creators of humanity. 
But also, there was a short story that was implemented a long time ago about these, this uh, space jockey that was carrying the uh, black goo. If you haven't watched Prometheus, then, well, you'll probably know what it is by now from the uh, Aliens franchise. But this uh, poor uh, jockey right here got himself... Uh, face hugged from a while back. There's a room that's protruding inside of the space jockey. That you see right there is a chest burster of that bursted a while back because he got face hugged. But in order to not have like the ship get taken in some way and sort of controlled because of how intelligent mostly these aliens are, he had the crash land. But also everything else was most likely destroyed from the engine. I believe from the short film, he did uh, take out the uh, the chest burster. But thanks to the acid blood, it melted into the ship's engine. And then he had to make an emergency crash land. And then you see here, well, he's dead. There's, what there's short nothing film that... are you referring to? It was an animated short film. I'm trying to remember the YouTuber's name, but... Wait, so it's not official? No, but then there was uh, also someone who came in and said that this was an official from someone who messaged a YouTuber to help out in the animation such, and then they said that this would be the official thing. Because they wanted that to culture, have the... I don't know. I, I know Ridley Scott is supposedly working on the third alien in the prequel stuff. That's going to explain how the derelict got impregnated and landed on LV-426. So I'm not sure if that is actually canon anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure if the short is actually part of the whole canon thing. Maybe it's something to throw us off to think that, oh, this is what actually happened. So, that's how I'm this whole thing started out. I'm made, personally. In unless it was uploaded by 20th Century Fox, I, I don't consider it canon. I always wondered what was with the uh, blue uh, lighting there. But then I figured I out think... that it was just... Uh, go ahead. Oh no, you go. Because I think you know the answer I don't. I think it's only because of the set. On how the... Uh, fog gases are rolling and such. And how they're... Uh, coping in with the lighting. Certain things. But you, you could go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, this movie has a lot of blues and blacks to it to give it a dark, dirt, dingy, scary feeling. So I kind of feel like that's why they picked blue for the fog here. And uh, here we finally get to see him break the layer of the fog, really, which kind of, I don't know why, but it's it's such an awesome scene to me. And I don't know how he falls there, but he does. Uh, 
it kind of felt like that may that could have been executed a little bit better, but you know it's it's whatever. And I love these first person shots of uh, Kane looking at the eggs here, uh, but I don't think he's watched a horror movie before. You're not supposed to put your face or your hand on anything that's you know alien. No, I think he even has a brain at all. <laughs> but, uh, and a funny thing here is they recorded it upside down so you can actually see the water dripping up instead of down, which I love that. It gives it a very otherworldly kind of feel. And you can see the egg starting to move as the face hugger inside starts to get active. Uh, it has an iridescent look with uh, what's inside of it. Though it doesn't show it, it does show more of its more gooish parts and such. And I don't think it's supposed to be like water. It's more mainly like uh, a sort of clear slime just to make it feel like it's more oozy and more of a... Uh, Weirdish leatherish type, and here we go with the face hugger. You know, one thing I've always wondered is how did uh, we're, I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, but how did the face hugger actually attach to Kane's face, and how come the helmet did what it did, which I'll talk about here in a second. But this is where everything goes south. I think we can all agree with that. He should have been left for dead, to be honest. They would have been much better off. Uh, but... But yeah, mostly I'm... it's because of the contract. They can't leave a man behind. Well, I don't think that's in their contract. I just think they're being human beings and not a cold, quiet... Or cold-hearted robot. Mainly that, Ripley... or again... Even Ripley be. said she wasn't going to let them in, but she kind of got overruled by uh, Dallas here. But uh, you can clearly tell here that tension is starting to rise between all of our actors in the sequences. Which I really love that aspect that it's actually, you know, things can, they are starting to turn for the worse really quickly. You know, it's a very slow build up and now things are starting to escalate. But, uh, I, I love how Ripley's like, yeah, you're right, but I'm not listening. And then Ash is like, whatever, I'm doing it. Because Ash knows what's going on. Yeah, right here. How did the facehugger get inside of the helmet, first of all? And how come the helmet solidified itself to whatever that is? I've never understood that. It's oh, always got me confused. It's because of the acid blood. It has, like, a, another sack somewhere where it could just use its own acid blood to break through whatever casing it has. Hmm. You see, one of the egg sacks, the two other ones, one of them is the sleeping gas, 
that has the uh, own injection where it knocks out, out the uh, host. And the other one is the air sac, so that way it won't uh, kill off the host and uh, choke them out for having its long uh, tube-like thing that's supposed to send out these eggs inside of the host's body. But this yeah. is a regular face hugger, so it only sends out one. If it was a queen, then that would be worse. <laughs> yeah. And I believe all these facehugger sequences were filmed upside down. They were filmed uh, upside down and also in a room where they had everyone on set while everything is happening. Well, not, not but these, not, but... No. Yeah, not these. But it's an interesting process here, too. You know, there's one thing that always freaked me out about watching this is when you look at Kane, his stomach for some reason goes in and like the chestburster's not even out yet. It just looks so weird to me how he's how he looks in that bodysuit or, you know, whatever that is. I don't know if that's the actual actor, but it looks very weird with the face hugger on it. But, uh, in here we're getting what I would define as a CAT scan. As, uh, you know, they're kind of like, What are we gonna do? Uh, this is weird. We're gonna, we're gonna get it off of him. How are we gonna do that? Um, and here we have Ash being like, Oh, we should hold off and see what we can do. But you, you can tell Dallas is like, Okay. We're they could just get it off they, could of him just, or... they could just do a surgical procedure. They could just go ahead do surgery, take it out from the chest and such. They don't have to actually like take the whole face hugger off. They could just wait until the face hugger just puts in the eggs and then go like, okay, time to do surgery remember, on this guy and go. They have no idea what a chest burster is. They don't know what. Yeah, but they have the either. They have the cat scans. They could literally wait and see what the chest burster ingests in him and but then remember that they haven't ingested yet it's still feeding him oxygen getting ready to ingest they just now realize that he does have acid blood which i believe they use styrofoam for the acid blood for well the for the melting yes they used yeah. it for the melting so that way they could have it feel more natural base where the uh, acid is uh, leaking in the hull of the ship. Yeah. Which, it's kind of amazing how this... It, it goes through three uh, levels of a ship and it's still burning. It's, you know, it's really powerful acid when you think about it. Uh, so, also again, kind of confirms that you should not screw around with the xenomorph or any of its life cycles. Mainly don't get close enough he'll spit acid blood at you. Yeah. But uh you can you can see how everybody now is like 
yeah, we should have left him out in the cold, but they don't want to because, you know, they need everybody to get the Star Freighter back to civilization. So now they're concerned what to do. Um, and I love there's the little comedy thrown in here. It's not enough to make it quite apparent, but I, I really like how they did bring in comedy for this movie. Uh, it really does work. It works well because it tries to line up the atmosphere and they sort of damp it in a situation where it's either going to be costing to life or death or something worse. Yeah. And then uh, here we have more more working on the spaceship. Uh, but do you have anything else you have uh, info-wise for uh, what we've seen so far? Yeah. I like this score also. And the camera viewing for like the room where uh, the crew member here is like laid down upon. It's showing how uh, the space is right now and where he basically is uh, placed in at the moment and where the lab and how everything is. And you see here what's coming up is uh, screening for, uh, for the uh, scan. Now this part, this is the part where it doesn't make sense to me already because he already found something point where okay time for surgery because they could have just done that taken them out placed them in containment somewhere take it home and they get their bonus for finding an unknown organism but no they just leave it in there but remember ash wants him to be impregnated they want to see what happens Nobody else knows what's going on, except for Ash. Well, they uh, could, they... or they could just take the obvious route and just do a surgical way and just take it out and just wait till they get back home, because obviously one of the crew members could have had a theory about what was in there and what happened, because there was... A space jockey that got previously impregnated and got bursted. But we, they don't know that. Most See, likely I, they would have a firm memory. Well, the thing is, like, Ripley doesn't know it. Ash knows it and isn't saying anything. Uh, Parker and Brett have no idea, nor do they care. They just want money and to get home. Uh, Lambert's kind of freaking out right now, and Ash, or Dallas, doesn't really understand what's going on either. There's only one science officer. Everybody else is either, you know, engineering or navigation or just monitoring the ship. Or, you know, the only person that would have any idea is Ash. Everybody else is kind of in the dark for what's going on. Uh... They don't even know that what was on that spaceship is a space jockey. 
is it's never been seen or heard of before. But uh in here like the the lyrics or the quotes are saying how he's willing to take the risk of everybody on the ship. You know, that's already setting up how things are not as they seem. He's willing to lose everybody to keep Kane on there and that face up. But, uh... You know, there's just something about Ash that's already, like, very off-putting at the beginning of the movie. And even now, you're starting to get confused. And I love the camera movements here. They're so lively, and they're so... I don't know, they're just, they feel natural. Uh, yeah, and Ash basically makes it seem more and more that he's being uh, sketchy. Basically. He's trying to yeah. uh, he's trying to cover up something, and he's trying to not let the rest of the crew know. Yeah. And see, here we have, now they found out that the facehugger's gone, and they're all confused to what's going on now. And I, I don't even think Ash realizes what's going on here. I think it's just due to the fact that everything is so uncalled for that they have no idea what to expect. Ash has, I'd say... 25% of an understanding of what's going on. Everybody else has about 2%, which is there's something on the spaceship. And it's attached to our crew member. That's basically all they know. And now apparently it's off faith. That's what they know. Ash has an idea that it may or may not have put something in his stomach. And Ash probably knows that this was a plan to bring back a creature. Um, but I love the low angle shot here. Very, very mysterious and very suspenseful. And how, you know, it follows everybody. It's a slow camera. And you can kind of see everybody's reaction to what's going on. Uh, and I love the darkness, like, this sequence here, where everything's behind Dallas. And you can't really see him that well. And then Ash is so lit up. You know, it, it's a good contrast between the bo both characters. This uh, film basically goes all out with dark environments. It takes no obses uh, obsession for... Uh... For any of the uh, brighter atmospheres or anything. They make it so that way it could feel more horror-esque. More so like a dark environment. Okay, second jump scare. <laughs> second jump scare of the film. And real yeah, quick, I do that. want to say... Uh, yeah, that was second jump scare. And uh, 
fun fact here, they used oysters and stuff for the face hugger. But if and you also look at puppet movement. Yeah, if you look at Ripley and Dallas, I firmly believe that they have a relationship of some sort. The way they act around each other just makes it seem like they may or may not have a closer relationship than we are given. I love this sequence here where they start to pry open the facehugger, at least just to see the inner. It's... I love seeing how it looks. You know, it's a very interesting factor, and you can kind of see for what they were going for when designing the creature. They go for the parts of the anatomy about facehugger, yeah. and they mostly show what's there and what it looks like on the uh, other side of the face hugger. Now here in this yeah. scene, they try to talk about it, but try to make sense of the whole thing, but they can't really tell what the organism did to their own crew member. Yeah. And see, <clears throat> here's a, <clears throat> excuse me. This is another sequence where I can kind of see a Ripley Dallas relationship. Uh, can you see that at all, or is that just me? I see it, but it's a sort of rough relationship with the situation that's happening right now. Because everyone is yeah. at the ambience of what's going on, of what is this sort of creature, and what is it doing to one of their own crew members. And everyone is just at an unease that they most likely compromised the ship of some sort of infection, and now they may potentially die or something. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of uneasement during. Um, and here we have another beautiful shot of them lifting off. And I love the blue in the background. It really gives a flickering feeling, and it just... It adds more of a skeptical nature as they lift off the darkness. Uh, but... And, uh, like you said earlier, the score here really adds some sort of feeling to the sequence that I don't really think many films get. This is very suspenseful, very quiet. This film goes for the quiet, slow nature, just like Jaws, uh, four years before it. It went for a very suspenseful and mysterious look. Um, but do you, what do you, what do you think about the miniatures used? I think that they're amazing, personally. They've been used very well. The performance on them is great. The way that they've been used for certain scenes is really good and it's so satisfying definitely and, agree and i love that shot there it's very star wars-esque but it just it looks really good and here we are back on the star freighter everybody's happy you know la di da di da everything's good but we're still worried about what's going on with me and then we have some character development here that kind of adds a little bit of 
connection between all the characters, which I think works very well here. Now they so, all try to knock off, oh. talk about things, just chew out on uh, meals and such, and most likely they all try to calm the situation down with whatever they could talk about and feel fine about it because now they're on the uh, main ship. Most likely they think that everything is under control and everything is perfectly normal by far. Yeah, especially when Kane wakes up here. Everything, people believe now, everything is good, all is better, and we can now get on with our mission to get back home. But, and I love how they really gave uh, John Hurt here. He doesn't look right. He looks like he's somewhat sick. He, I don't, it may be he looks a little pale. It also may be the sweat. He does not look like he is 100%. Uh, but I also love how, like, they show here that when you do get hit by Facehugger, you don't remember anything. Uh, but, yeah, and here we have, it's coming up here, we now have the dinner sequence. This was a huge scene when it first was released. This was history in the making right here this sequence here did something no movie had ever done before and it really proved that this movie was something we reckoned with it was the main highlight of the film i wouldn't Mainly say so highlight with... but it was a huge climax part well the scene here has always been used for quite a lot of things Mainly with the chest burster in yeah. most ways. And see, like, right here it starts, you know, he... and John Hurt did great acting. He, he really acts like he's sick. And then everything starts to go to heck. And, you know, you can start to see issues. And somebody explained why they put a spoon on his face. I don't... I never got that. And I still don't. But, uh... You know, and fun fact. Uh, whenever they cut to the chest bursting, that was not in the script. Nobody knew what was going on. Uh, a lot of this is... And there's the first bit of blood. Those, uh, those reactions to the blood, that is purely them as actors. They had no idea what was happening. Uh... And here it is, the birth of a baby. Yeah, all of these, all those reactions were not planned. They had no idea what it was going to look like. And it's just perfect how scene plays out here, where blood splatters, the chest burster looks around, and everything is now in an issue. It's, it's not in a good spot. Uh, it went south very quickly, and now everybody's like, well, crap, we're screwed. 
and I think this is now where you can really set up the expense and the and the ambience of uh, uncertainty of what's going to happen with our characters and yeah. what's going to uh, occur through these events. Yeah. Uh, and here we have the, the funeral secret, which I think is also very important because this is the first time they've lost anybody on a ship for these this crew of people. They haven't really lost people before, so this is a very traumatic experience for them, and I don't think they were planning on this happening. Uh, and again, the score here is beautiful. It's just great. I love this. And I love this sequence, how it starts to turn as it disappears into the night, and then we get a shot of the, the Stromo slowly on its way earth it they really did the outside shots of the space uh star freighter justice here it really does look great i cannot say that in uh but here now we are starting to get into them getting into the big picture going on but i think since now it's just purely Let's look for the creature until we see the creature. Why don't we just discuss kind of how we got uh, found out about this movie. Uh, Jay, do you want to go ahead and start us off with what exactly, uh, how, how exactly you got into this movie? Well, I started looking to several channels when I got bored one day. I noticed there were streaming a movie such as Alien. And I got interested into watching it. I looked through the whole movie and it was, wow, this is a, this is a really good film. Brings a lot of emotion between the characters. Gives a lot for its enclosement with the corridors. And also the digestion of the ship. And also how each scene gets performed properly well. The execution in this film is just gorgeous. Yes, Ridley Scott really knew what he wanted to do, and he stopped at nothing to get that. But, uh, where would this rank on your favorite movies of all time, out of curiosity? I would rank this most likely on a 9 out of 10 uh, film rating since this movie is really good a lot of dark ambience with the films sometimes it got like good humor sometimes the humor just doesn't nail it but for me it's just really good it's a great film lot of details in the design on how hard they work for the film how they managed to make everything look more based and how they made it more like this could actually be a thing for the whole ship the whole environment 
and how they manage to have like the quality of life for the characters be actual people who are dealing with a sort of unknown situation that they haven't witnessed before. Yeah. It brings a lot of horror tones behind it and a lot of sense of disturbing uh, scenes and scenarios on how things happen. And also the jump scares are well placed. Very well placed. Yeah, Not really enough where it could actually get you in a way, but it's good at the point where it just feels like it's actually there. It's at a really good spot and it's at a good sp- uh, place to be really good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they time them out perfectly like you really just... There, there's not too many of them to where it's bad. There's not too little, so it's not scary. When they are shown, they are not forced. They are very natural. I, I really like how they did execute all of these jump scares, and especially the one we are about to witness. Um, now personally, I got into this film. I was I was seven when I first saw it. Uh, trying to remember how I saw it. I my parents always had this VHS called Alien, and on the front was an egg, and on the back it had a couple of pictures, and uh, it also had we also they also had a movie called Alien. Well, I had always wanted to watch the movies. And I just kept saying, can I watch this? Can I watch this? Can I watch this? And they said, no, wait until you get older. And then I said, hey, I, I, I feel like you can watch it. And I pulled the card that this one says anybody under the age of 17 can watch it. And uh, they said, okay, you can watch it. So we watched it. And immediately I fell in love with it was great uh it didn't scare me but i loved the design of the creature i loved all the characters you know the feeling of it was very good to me uh and here we are about to get the full reveal of the alien here in a few minutes here uh i love this scene too this is very you you know something's wrong the fact that Jonesy's not coming to Brett, Brett is like, where are you? You know, and it's, it's quiet. There's nothing here to help. It's dead silent. So I, and I always love that about the scene. You know, it just, it really gave a sense of, yeah, he's screwed. Especially when he goes into the room of chains and all that. Here in a second. Uh, and I, that... Is it me or does that look like bullets right there? I just noticed that. Don't those look like bullets on the left-hand side of the screen? Yeah, they don't that. really, to me. They more look like 
capsules of some sort, more mainly battery, uh, uh, batteries and such. And you get to see the molding here. That's how the uh, Xenomorph actually molds out of the uh, chest burster, like a snake, uh, basically. That's just its dead skin. Yeah. You get to see so that part so. of that. You get to see that part of the uh, evolutionary plane where the Xenomorph molds out of its own shell and then grows into a full-size version. Yeah, and here we go. This is the scene I was referring to with the chain. Uh, I never understood why it was so wet in this room. Because when you look, it is a very damp, very dark kind of uh, room. And I just, I've always wondered how come it was so wet in this room. But who knows? Uh, you can actually, I don't know. I don't remember where it was, it might be in the director's cut, but you can actually see the Xenomorph hanging on a, a chain, but it's like very, very dark, you can't really make it out. That and you can't dark. really see it because mainly the whole body of the skin of the Xenomorph is black. I like how it's black because it could camouflage within the dark corridors and areas where you can't even see them. You have to really yeah. have a good eye in order to catch them. But yeah. they mainly have a superb amount of speed. They're most likely probably faster than a raptor. And most likely even more deadly and so. Because of I don't how they could... believe the drones are fast. Which I believe that's what this alien... Yeah, it's uh... a regular Xenomorph drone, but they're fast. And uh, yeah. more volatile with their uh, claws and uh, tail whip. And I mean oh. by tail whip, I mean the literal blade that's in the end of its tail that'll just freaking pierce through everything. Yeah. I love this scene where, you know, it's. You see Brett and it cuts back to Jonesy, but you can also see, like, the camera starting to go back as you see this giant creature come down and the close-up of its face. I love how at the beginning here it makes it seem like this is a very large creature, larger than life, whenever it's more just human size. But, uh, I love the sound effects they use here for the alien. Uh, and I love that close-up of the secondary jaw. And, you know, we don't see what happens to Brett here. But in the director's cut, it shows Ed Egomorphus or something. I don't remember what it's called, but uh, it's an Egomorphus where they most likely try to form, yeah, form a new egg out of the body. Yeah. So basically, it's a creation of a new face hugger egg. They show and like it's a graphical. It's very graphical. As it's very graphical as to how it all morphs into an egg. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it forms into a face hugger. I don't think they do. I think it. 
see, the thing is, like, I don't know if you can count that cannon because it kind of ruins the life cycle of an alien. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, it doesn't when it forms into a xenomorph egg or a facehugger egg, to be precise. Well, it's more like an incubation break. Like- Oh, you what go you, ahead. No, yeah. What were you saying? It's more like a, some sort of incubation process of like creating a new organism through cellular quantities and how it produces the uh, face hugger. I gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't know if it makes a face hugger. Mainly because the eggs are like three times the size, because they're made out of a human, unlike the regular eggs that are like the size of my leg. Oh no, I... no! The egg morphing has to be complete in order for that to happen. It has to be fully complete. Like the whole uh, face hugger egg has to be more so like what you've seen from there, just in order to be actually complete and be able to produce a face hugger. And fun fact, the eggs are actually alive. They actually be able to, like, they only sense force of movement. Like, if you go into, like, a certain area where it starts feeling more and more movement, then it'll open up the hatch for the uh, face hugger to be able to pop out and attempt to implant a chest burster in its host. There's like a certain distance where it'll start feeling more kinetic motion, basically. So those things are basically sensitive. You have to be at like a certain distance where they won't gain any sort of kinetic motionality for whatever is uh, is approaching the egg. Let's say uh, like some I sort can... of defense mechanism of some sort. Uh, defense mechanism whenever uh, an organism comes near or whatever comes close by just for the uh, egg to uh, to, uh, protect the face hugger because the face huggers don't have like a long uh, long lifespan they have a short lifespan so they have to be able to inject their uh inject the egg inside of an organism before they uh, die from the uh, short lifespan that they have. Yeah. Um, This vent scene really, really sets a lot of of, uh, claustrophobic tones. I love this scene. This is amazing. The way they film the scene is so good. Plus, you feel like you're in like the endoskeleton of the ship. The vents and everything else just feels really good, and it just feels like you're more like isolated in a spot where all you only have is your communication headset and flame flower and such, and that's it. Yeah. 
Um, and I love this here where, like, Dallas knows he's dead. He knows it, so he's, you know, closed all the hatches, you know. He doesn't want it getting out. He, His intention is kill the alien and die doing Cause he knows oh, he doesn't. He, does he doesn't it. know he's gonna die yet. There's a potentiality that he'll might, but he's trying to have all the hatches closed behind him so that way the xenomorph won't try to go around in the vents somewhere and try to get him from the back without him even noticing. Which That's is didn't smart. Work out too well. No, the xenomorph just found another way to get to him. But uh, I love this. It's. The camera angles and everything really add the depth of, or not the depth, but the claustrophobia here. I love that. It it really helps making a memorable sequence. Um, so we're we're about half. We're a little over halfway into the film now. Uh, what so far? What is your favorite moments been for this movie? My favorite moment is like right here with the vents because you feel more enclosed. There's more encapsulations with the scenes, and you just feel like everything just feels very, very dense and claustrophobic. And you just feel as if you'll just get placed in a situation where you'll be in place in uh, enclosed areas. And it'll just feel like you won't be able to know what's uh, happening throughout everything else. Because you'll think that, oh, there's enclosed areas, I'm in vents and such, and I'm just having everything close up right behind me. I think I'm more secure and uh these air and these vents then where i am i think i should be able to get around easily without them having to get me from the back now <laughs> that's the wrong part because he's just found another way through and it seems yeah. now that the xenomorph is playing it uh smart right now and getting closer and closer to dallas this sets up the tone with the chase that i'm talking about and then there's the jump scare. Yeah. I love how, you know, I kind of feel like the alien was playing with Dalek. You know, it's just the way he acts to me feels like the alien knows what he's doing. So he just, you know, goes around and messes with his prey before killing it. The Xenomorph uh, is more like an intelligent uh, sort of species. They know how to adapt for their environments and they know how to maneuver around certain areas where it would seemingly be hard for them to get passed by. And if necessary, yeah. they would go ahead and use their blood just to get past certain objects just yeah. as like a learning process because they could actually break through certain objects and obstacles that are in the way 
since of, because of how aesthetically powerful the uh, blood is. Yeah. That's how you would see through an evolution phase that there's several certain types of xenomorphs. There's a spitter. There's even a ginormous version, which I don't know how that occurs, but I have one theory that there's also some sort of uh, used to be a huge uh, animal types around in uh, LV426 where the xenomorphs could impregnate them and evolve into some sort of giant uh, giant armored xenomorphs practically. Yeah, that's a lot of spin. It's a lot of information that uh, that I'm pulling down on the table. It's a lot <laughs> from uh, what I learned from the Aliens franchise and throughout this one. Like, from the movie, the you can't really kill the xenomorph. It's tough to kill. You need some sort of more powerful base weaponry. Not a pistol or revolver. Mainly so like a uh, weapon that could arm, uh, pierce through uh, a xenomorph's armor. Because yeah, if you try to use, if you use like some sort of small base firearm weaponry, it's not going to pierce through them. And the flamethrower that they're using in this film is weak. It's not strong enough. It'll keep the xenomorph away or at the point where it'll just make him flee off. But it's not going to keep him away. Well, it's not going to kill him, basically. You just have to hope for the best that he actually does run off from catching fire. And hope for the best that he doesn't try to uh, use the weak firebase uh, weaponry. And then try to use its claws or its tail whip or use its secondary draw to kill you. Yeah. And those jaws are powerful. They could break through anything, including the blade. If you get caught by a tail whip, then you're basically screwed. Because that thing will just pierce through your whole entire chest. And yeah, you'll be either mauled apart or you'll just have your face get freaking uh, get jawed up by the secondary jaw and just been given a nice little shave. I got real quick. I do want to bring up the the. I I'm trying to think of the word here. Uh, the urgency of this scene. You know, it's cutting back and forth to mother to Ripley and her finally finding out that them dying is exactly what was planned. That this is not an accident. And I love how Ash Ripley gets in, and Ripley's like. How did you get in here? And she's she's going she's having a mental breakdown right now. She is about ready to ha, she you know she's gone. She's mentally gone. Right she's upset with Ash. She's upset with the company. She's scared. She's nervous. Everything is going south. She wants the creature dead. She wants everything gone. And I love... I love... Uh, I don't know why all of a sudden I can't think of Ash's actor. Uh, 
I love how he portrays Ash here. This really, really goes through all the way. He does not stop. I love, love how Ash is literally on the curb breaking down. He is right. And I don't think that's a plan that he had, but it's it's gone all the way. He's going crazy now. Ian Holm, that's and I love right there the little drop of white uh, sweat. But it's, well, it's not you know, white but... sweat because then you get to actually know later on once when Ash gets killed off that this whole entire time he's actually an android, not an actual yeah. human. Yeah. And uh, right, right in here, I love this part. Like Ash cannot kill a human, but he cannot stop. He can put a magazine down somebody's throat and strangle them. So I I love the idea that Ash cannot technically harm a human being. Because he hasn't yet, he's just pulled hair out and thrown Ripley onto a bed. He hasn't physically harmed her in any way. But he's about to shove a magazine down her throat and choke her. I love that. And you can see, like, his programming starting to screw up. Because he's starting to, like... I don't know what it should be described as, but he's, like, going haywire here. Uh, and I love how, like, Ash can take on, like, three people at once. Here, it's kinda funny how he's the least capable, like, physical person, and yet he can, like, take them all on. And I love this right here. Ian Holm did amazing with the flying everywhere, spewing out the yogurt and milk that they gave him to spew out his blood. And I love right there, the, the knocking off the head. Great. It's This is a classic scene coming up after they have officially basically screwed up Ash's face. Uh, and all the white stuff that is actually, like I said, that's milk and yogurt. It's very disgusting from what I've heard, and uh, nobody liked having uh, And basically now everything's gone to heck. Everybody's dead. Ash is an android and is like freaking out. Ripley's having a mental breakdown. Lambert's mentally out. She's been out since the beginning of the film. Uh, Parker's like scarred for life now because he knocked off his crew member's head which turned out to be an android but it is just everybody is on the edge. There is no one person that's perfectly okay now. Uh, and I love this scene here with Ash and all of this. this. This is great. Uh, it really adds he's a, a corrupt comp, you know, like any other. Uh, and I would this is one of my favorite. I love the 
says here, uh, uh, like, uh, a perfect organism, you know, the, the sound of his voice and everything, like, it, it really hammers it home that he's an android. Um, do you have anything you want to say about this scene, really? Yes. They, um, made the android really good. They made it look like it's supposed to be some sort of cyber... More based like a cyborg than just an actual robot. But they made it more like a its own sentient being. It's not really... It's, uh... Own, uh person but it's more based as a uh part of programming uh android basically they uh been made to look like humans they've been made to do uh basic uh dangerous works and such and they're programmed to do certain things yeah but also this is the main genesis of what Wayland uh, Yutani, the uh, company, did to make their sort of android models to have uh, the androids do more of the uh, harder work for their uh, programs and rather than just having the uh, humans do all the dangerous such. Which also yeah. gave them more power line because the androids have been proven to be useful for a lot of sort of dangerous tasks. And also for basically uh, a more advanced computer hive mind and also, uh, well, not a hive mind, but mainly more of like a supercomputer and more of a uh, technical type of android. Yeah. Real quick, the face he does whenever they unplug him is horrifying. Especially when they start burning him. It is horrifying, and it would scar anybody who's afraid of weird, smiling, android creatures. Uh, it's right now going on, if you're following us, we commentate over But, uh, you know, it's... Especially whenever the bit of bits and pieces of the skin flies off and it's like a smooth under It's basically under showing skin. itself to be more like a actual uh, mannequin than act than Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, oh dang, that's a that's a mannequin type of thing this whole time. And it just leaves the ambience of it like being sort of uh, it's terrifying because it's just a mannequin <laughs> under all that human skin that really just shows off everything about it. Yeah, it gives it a lifeless kind of mood to me. Now, this is when I think Sigourney Reaver really does well for, as Ripley. Because she starts taking action after knowing what's been happening this whole entire time. She starts having to be more situated and calm. And this is really showing how amazing she is as a character, as a protagonist. Yeah. And 
fun fact, they always wanted her, uh, Ripley or the main character to, to be a female. And I do want to really hammer home that female representation was not a new thing. This Ripley, the character, is one of the greatest heroes in any sci-fi franchise ever. I want to stress that immensely. Ripley is a great character, not only in this one, but the one before. Or, one after. Not before, this was the first one. Uh, Ripley is, like, one of the best uh, protagonist characters in, like, all sci-fi, mainly. She's, like, one of the greatest examples of how female actors should be portrayed throughout these whole films. And Alien really set that up very well for a female protagonist. Yes, agreed. Most definitely. Uh... So, and here we have, you know, they're, they're starting to think, hey, we're going to get out of here, we're going to be safe, we're going to, you know, we're going to get everything we need, and we're going to get off, but, unfortunately, life wants to hit you in the, in a bad spot, and you kind of, nothing goes right, uh, in here, you can tell by the lighting, you know, things are not good. They're kind of south for everything now. You really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Ripley, I love the lighting here. The lighting in this stuff is beautiful. Uh, and of course, Ripley has to go back for the cat because Jonesy is the true star of the movie. Uh, now... It's cutting back and forth to Ripley, to Parker, and Lamb. Ripley's more of a suspenseful, quiet mood, while Parker and Lambert is a more action-y, suspense-horror mood. Um, this is probably the most controversial scenes out of all of them, from what I've read. Uh, I'll get to it here in a second, but... The alien apparently does something not many people think an alien Um, also originally here, apparent or no, that's later on. I'll, I'll say that later. Uh, but I love how we're back here, where we were at the beginning of the movie. It's kind of gone almost full circle. We're back to where we were when the movie started, and now everything's changed. From the music to the sounds, character, everything has gone haywire. Uh, it connects the whole scenes of the movie with the entirety of the ship with everything else. Every single part, every single scene has a connection to it, which is really good. Yeah. And here... What's that? Oh, it was a shadow. That shadow is horrifying. Oh, wait. Is that what I think it is? It is. Mm -hmm. It's an alien! Uh, my question here is why did nobody move? Like, you could have easily burned the creature or run it. Do something. This is probably the dumbest scene in the whole movie. I, I never understood why, you know, get out of there. 
You know, don't just stand there screaming. But, uh... You know, the alien here is acting different. Instead of killing on sight, it's actually looking and taking its time. Which, apparently, from what I've read, uh, this scene is more controversial than people believe. The alien is actually going to do something to Lambert that was not supposed to happen. But before that can happen, the alien has to kill Parker with stabbing him in the uh, head with their secondary jaw. Which I love how, you know, it's very quick and it's violent, but it's very quick and kind of unknown how these people die. But uh, apparently... The alien here decides to not only kill Lambert, but apparently rape her. Which, I can't confirm that, but well, from no, what I've read... Well, no, he didn't. He just pierced his tail through Lambert's uh, bottom part through the whole entire... Yeah, it's very uh, it's a very graphical kill. Uh, now, it is off-screen, but uh, a lot of stuff in this film was supposed to be more of the suggestive adult-ish feel. The designs of the all of the things, from the eggs to the facehuggers, to the xenomorph, to the chest, to how they're born, to how they can die, how they kill, everything is somewhat adult-oriented, which I do like that. But it's also very disturbing when you think about it that way. Uh, definitely something you wouldn't think an alien from outer space would you know? And now Ripley's the only one alive, except for uh, Jonesy. Jonesy. But Jonesy's in a box, sitting, waiting for Ripley, while the alien is roaming. Uh... You know, I always found it interesting here where Ripley is done. Ripley just decides, screw it, we are blowing up the ship, nothing is, it's, we're, I'm done, you know. That's part of the plan in the first place that she formulated with Lambert and Parker. But, but everything has gone full action. Somewhat. She has no ability except to blow it up, but, you know, even in her face, you know, she is having a mental breakdown right now. If not that, it's an anxiety attack that she's never had before. She's basically knowing that she's all alone, she's isolated, she has no one else to do anything, and now she has to be the one to do everything and destroy the ship. And also get to the, uh, escape, uh... Well, to the ship right on time before the uh, ship explodes. Yeah. She's basically put on a time base where she has to get there quickly, but also to be careful for the, uh, for the Xenomorph, because most likely the Xenomorph would uh, find out what she's doing, and if she's not careful enough, she could get caught. And most likely uh, killed by the Xenomorph, like the rest of the crew. 
Yeah. As you could see, you can figure out how the uh, whole scene just set in tone with how the alarms is going off while Ridley is trying to make sure that she's not being chased down by the Xenomorph and it's trying to get to the ship right on time before the uh, Nostromo self-destructs. And again, this sequence here, I love it. The, the lighting, the sounds, sirens, Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's acting in here, everything, it's so suspenseful and so good that it really hammers home Spence in the buildup. You've been waiting for the alien to finally show up. And Ripley is not going to have it. She is... She is... She's been through a lot, and she's done. She wants the alien dead, but she can't kill it because no, she can't. And originally right here, uh, Jonesy was supposed to get impregnated by the alien. So, you know, there's... There's some interesting cut uh, concepts here. I believe this is also close to where... No... It might have been Ripley was uh, going to find Dallas Brett's uh, body. I don't think it was here. I think it was uh, right before Parker and Lambert died, and she went. I think it was in that. That was. Uh, but... Yes, yeah, she was gonna find uh, Dallas's body all uh, placed up in a egg morphing stage, where yeah, you could see how the egg morphing works and such, and how a xenomorph egg would be made in a very graphical yeah. sense. I believe that was in the director's cut that they show that. Director's cut in the movie novelization. And, you know, I love this too. I love this part where Ripley thinks it's good, but then she finds out it's too late. It's now or now. But... And, yeah, Ripley's just like, oh, God. She cannot get a break. She literally can't. Everything is gone wrong. Nothing is going to... Uh... But, you know, by now... I don't know what else she would expect. Everything's no good anymore. So, she's now... And I love the camera here. It's very realistic. You know, it's following her movement. It's showing, like, the urgency that she has. Sweat on her face shows stress she's going Really, the atmosphere of this film hammered home in every single possible. Um, and this is probably my favorite scene in the whole sequence in the whole film. From the alien's arrival to Ripley right now with the strobe lights going, everything is perfect. The, from the, you know, the the flamethrower burning right now to, you know, all the steam and stuff going, it is just perfect. This is what should be in a film. The camera angle is angled up, so, you know, you're looking up at the hero but you're also seeing more of the corridor than you expect. So, Ripley thinks by now, because she's right where the alien was, she thinks, okay, the alien's here, not 
I'm safe. We're good to go. We'll see how well that works. Um, uh, but what else do you have to say about this sequence or, you know, overall what's going on? The sequence really brings a lot into it, where she has to move slowly throughout this whole scene. It gives, like, a lot of emotionality with the strobe lights going off, with the lighting and everything else. It brings a lot into this film. And yeah. also, I'll admit, that really looks like a good uh, uh, thumbnail or... Uh, uh, what was it that I was thinking? It was a po- yeah. A good tabletop poster or a <laughs> thumbnail that you would put for that scene for Ridley when she's going through the hallway with the flamethrower. Oh but yeah, yeah that's, it, that's yeah. good screenshot. But, uh, so, personally, I think she's safe now. There's no way the alien got on board this little ship. Uh, she's safe and sound. Everything's gonna be hunky-dory. Just the opposite of everything else that's happened today. And is it me, or is this little shuttle, like, Millennium Falcon? It's a bit Millennium Falcon-esque, but it's more like its own futuristic tone than that actually being uh something that's more based on the star wars uh vehicle it's more its own thing rather than yeah. just having to be not creative in most ways you can see where star wars heavily was influenced on the designs of the space everything else not so much but every you know the spaceships and all that they really give me a Star Wars-esque feel. And now you see how she's feeling relieved about everything else. How she managed mm -hmm. to get away from the ship. And now the, the Nostromo is destroyed. The Nostromo is destroyed and the alien is dead to her. But is it though? You'll have to come in next episode when we find. I'm <laughs> That's an awful spot to end it. Uh, yeah, just uh, end everything else and just have it end right there with Sigourney Weaver just chilling and seeing the whole Nostromo explode, thinking that everything's good. Nah, you're not getting away that fella. Yeah. And yeah, see, even the quote she said, I got you, she believes everything good. She's now got rest, she can go to sleep and get back to Earth. And you know, it's just, she believes everything is good to go. And you know, life is a great thing. She's been through an experience and uh, she... It's happy it's over. Finally. And even like the the music here, it kinda it's quiet and it's very mellow, but you know, 
it, it kind of helps give you the idea of what Ripley believed. And of course, Jonesy, the true star of the movie. Uh, perfect, you know? Jonesy should deserve an Oscar for this movie. Look at that acting skills. <laughs> this whole yeah, scene well, tries to calm the atmosphere, making it feel everything's hopeful that now Ripley managed to get off the ship, the alien organism is supposedly dead, and now everything should be fine. Yep. All she needs to prepare for was for the long journey back home because that is not really uh, uh, more like a space traveling type of shuttle. It's more like an actual uh, uh, SOS type of ship. It doesn't have any uh, capabilities of being able to yeah travel through the vastness of space in a matter a matter of time well in a short amount of time yeah yep yeah like it's got like one to two cryo tubes and that's basically it you know, it's surprisingly weird how those tubes on the wall look like the alien. You know, I... Yeah. I, I, yeah. So weird, you, you know? You, yeah, it makes you think that the uh, xenomorph is actually hiding there. And yeah. it looks like that he's just camouflaging with everything else. Yeah. Wait, well, oh my god, it's there. It's not dead. Oh my god. How could... There's no way. How is this possible? Oh my god. Mainly it followed her all the way there. Yeah. The, no, uh, it knew and... what was happening when it found Jonesy. And it yeah. went and followed Ridley straight to the dropship. Well, I or at least believe... a shuttle. I think the alien was already in the shuttle, knowing that Ripley would be there. I don't think the alien followed because there's no way he... Uh, but... Yeah, and I love the idea that it's an actual creature, but it looks so metallic, it blends in with its surroundings. I love that. That's amazing, and that's such a cool concept for the creature. And I just, I love this entire sequence. It's so good. Ripley is literally shaking right now. And she doesn't know what to do. But, you know, she's just gonna, she's gonna try and do something. Uh, well, she has but, an idea of what to do, but it's a risk. Yeah. I love how the aliens just slowly coming, you know, it's just slowly moving, and it's going to, you know, get out eventually. It's mainly sleeping or such, it's not even awake. If it was, then it would have been over already. 
Well, I just think the alien's now toying because it knows it's going to eat Ripley. At least it thinks it can. But what the alien doesn't realize is this movie's in for about six more sequels and Ripley's in four of them. So, it can't really kill Ripley. Well, but... one of them that I just don't really like. <laughs> that fourth one was too goofy to me. We'll, we'll get to that one eventually. I love... I, lo I absolutely love the helmet. They're so bulky. They're just so cool. I love them. So, now Ripley's resorted to a harpoon and a space suit. I don't know what she's going to do with that, but it can't be much, right? <laughs> Well, typically she's gonna try to uh, vent the uh, xenomorph out. She's gonna open up the airlocks and most likely open up the door so that way she could vent out the xenomorph and take him out into the deep damp space. Yeah. Oh, fun fact. This right here where Ripley's saying you're a lucky star, lucky, lucky, lucky. That was all improvisation. That was what Sigourney Weaver did. She just came up with it on the spot, I believe. Which is very so, clever. Yeah. Uh, and I love this, where, you know, she's like, I'm gonna vent him out. And I, it, it surprisingly works. The alien starts screaming and squealing as Ripley's kind of like... Oh my god. And that's exactly what she said right there was, oh my god. Because she's, you know, she's freaking out right now. So, you know, she's having another anxiety attack probably. As this alien slowly gets up and gets ready to attack Ripley or thinks it can attack Ripley. Uh, as, you know, she's she turns around, I think it's due to the fact, you know, she cannot mentally do this anymore. She's been through such a traumatic experience that it's all over. Why? But, uh, here... Here, the alien is now hanging on to dear life and uh we think it's gone until the harpoon gun gets stuck and is dislodged into the door and uh she watches the alien goes into the little uh rocket uh, tube uh thrusters thrusters thank you i couldn't think of the word there but uh as the alien gets blasted out of the thruster I love the camera angle there. I love how it's a little dampish, you know, in how we just, in a distorted view, we see the alien fly off into space as Ripley stares out and is relieved that everything is over. Uh, and I love this final quote, how she's, you know, she just basically says, uh, everybody's dead. 
um, yeah, I'm going to go back to Earth, and somebody's going to pick me up, hopefully. But I, I definitely feel like, and I think Aliens touched on this a bit, but she's definitely going to have some major PTSD after this. There is no way you can come out of an alien encounter with all of your friends dying without some sort of mentally troubled memories. Mainly she's going to be scarred for life of the events of what happened during this whole film. And she's yeah. going to feel... Uh, so much uh, claustrophobic about how the uh, events of this whole film happened and this scene right here also sets up the tone as not really of a good ending it's somewhat of a good ending but it also leaves it to a damp unknown ending because you don't know what the fate of Ripley is. You don't know if she's going to get saved. You don't know if someone's going to find the ship eventually. And you don't yeah, know. Exactly. Yeah. And I love the ending credits here. You know, it's so peaceful and calm. You know, everything's hunky-dory. You know, I love that. It's a good way to end one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. Uh, so, you know, now we're just gonna let the credits roll here, but, uh, I guess since the film's basically over, uh, do you have any other facts you wanted to bring up? Yes, the pup, the Xenomorph, uh, I'm trying to remember who was the actor who played as a xenomorph, but he really did very well in his performance in the suit. Yes. It really felt like it was an actual organism rather than something that was like, it felt more lively. Yeah. And the whole uh, movement and uh, sort of control of the uh, whole scenes was really good there's parts that were really good as well that had really good highlights and including most of the scenes were also used as ways to uh place as thumbnails for these sort of posters for like the alien and such like where you see what, how they have these posters, they have it on like dark green lighting for yep, yeah, and they also have Sigourney Reaver as the star of it. She's also wearing the spacesuit as well. But you also you don't see the alien air uh, anywhere, but you only see it as a reflection on the glass window of the uh, helmet. Yeah. Uh, so we have came to the ending of the movie. The movie is now concluded. 
and everything is over. This is where we will now discuss what we think of the movie. Uh, Jay, do you want to start us off, or do you want me to? No, you go ahead, mate. Okay. Amazing movie. I love this movie. This movie, like I said, one of the greatest films from sci-fi of all time. This beats Star Wars, personally. This beats Empire Strikes Back. This beats The Thing. This beats Jaws. This beats Creature from the Black Lagoon. This beats Close Encounters of the Third This beats any sci-fi movie I can think of, except a very few. There's about maybe ten or so that may beat Alien. But I absolutely adore the film. Alien was a great movie. The actors in it did the best they could. Special effects were great. The lighting, cinematography, the atmosphere, score, the beautiful score. Even though the uh, the person that made the score, the musician, did not feel like he was treated fairly. That he was kind of thrown to the curb. He did beautiful. All of the stuff he did, amazing work. I love this film. I think this film still stands up today. The special effects in it are perfectly fine. There's a few times it looks slightly dated, but it's not. It looks like it could have been made in the last 10 years. It's so well. I love this film, and I think it's a perfect example of what a horror film should be. Uh, that's that's a good uh, wrap up there. Uh, Jay, what do you think of the film? The characters and everything is really good. Outstanding performance by Ridley Scott. A lot of the characters really performed well in their scenes. The execution was really good. And this movie is literally one of the all-time best, uh, best films that you would ever see. It definitely could stand against the test of time. And it's also a movie that should be looked upon for like learning to make really good horror films. And also any sort of future type of sci-fi film. The tensity of the film and the sort of unknown isolation and the dense corridors and everything else including the textures and the designs of the areas in the films the scenes the xenomorph the aliens looks fantastic literally one of the best films that you would ever see in the century beats all records has like the best things that you would possibly ever put on the screen and something that you would definitely want to take note on yes most definitely i i can't disagree with you anything there ridley scott like you said 
amazing direction for how this film and where this film should go. He had a clear idea, and he fulfilled it. H.R. Geiger, amazing work on the suit. Uh, I just... I don't know if we can say anything that hasn't been said during the commentary or, you know, anything. It just... Everything about the film is amazing. It was ahead of its time. It was wonderfully executed. And it's... Other it's than a, its sequel... It's oh, a breathtaking on. film. Yes. Other than what the sequel brought on the table, it's really one of the best films that you would ever see in the last years before the 80s arrived. This is literally one of the best late 70s films that you would ever see. I would agree with that. It's one of the best horror films of the late Uh, The only other one I could think that I may like more, but I don't know, would be John Carpenter's The Fog. I adore that movie with all my heart. So, that would be the only other thing I could think of that could even compete with Alien. And to me, they are on two separate sides of spectrum. I don't see how they can actually really make much sense. Uh, yeah, like, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we can say. Uh... The characters, the lighting, photography, score, character development. That's another thing this franchise did well at its beginning. It developed the characters enough that we no, didn't need to worry about extra stuff. We just knew what we had to know, and that was that. I think that was great. It worked out perfect. Uh... Definitely, this film fits for our October coming. Uh, it's it's not a full-fledged horror movie, but it definitely has the horror elements in it that I think make it fall under the category of horror. Um, definitely. I'm trying. To, I think that's basically it. Can you think of anything else? Not as much. There's not really many uh, problems that you would think would be in the film. As you stated before, some of the uh, scenes in there doesn't feel like the act, the, one of the characters actually slipped. And there are some things that feels a bit dated, but there's barely any sort of criticism I would put. This movie is really good. There's barely any problems that you would actually see come out of this film. Just yeah. everything looks so breathtaking. And one, one thing I find interesting is it only won one Academy Award. It won Award for Best Visual Effect, which is great for it. But I can't believe it didn't even go up for anything really... I'm surprised it didn't win anything else. Uh, it only won Best Special Effects. It was nominated for Art Direction and Set Direction. It should have won that. That was great. It was a nominee for Best Original Score for the Golden Globes. 
the BAFTA Awards, it won BAFTA Film Award for Best Production Design. It won Best Soundtrack. Uh, it was a nominee for some sort of uh, film uh, awards. It won the BAFTA Film Award for, oh no, it was a nominee for Best Costume Design, Best Editing, uh, Most Promising Newcomer for, to a Leading Role, Sigourney Weaver, uh, and Best Supporting Actor, John. Uh, yeah, it's, I can't believe this film didn't win as much. It did, however, win from the Saturn Awards. It won Best Science Fiction. Best Supporting Actress, Veronica Cartwright. Uh, Best Director, Best Actress. Oh, it was nominated for Best Actress, not when didn't. It was nominated for Best Writing, Best Makeup, along with Best Special. Uh, so it got enough awards, but I definitely think this film deserves more. Yeah, it definitely uh, does. It's just that most likely thanks to how uh, the movie scares off a bunch of people and how it makes it so disturbing that it probably went lightly on the rewards, but I don't see how this movie wouldn't be able to gain so many other awards. This is really a masterpiece. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. This should be in the Criterion Collection. Criterion, if you're listening, which you're not, you should put this Criterion Collection. But, uh, eventually we'll get to the sequel, Aliens. We'll do a commentary over it. Uh, and then I guess we'll compare the two at the end, which one we prefer. Uh... I personally think that Alien is a strong start to a franchise that eventually became B-movie level. Uh, I love this film. I think we both do. It's great. It's a part of history, and it should not be looked over. Well, um, I guess this is a good place to end it. Uh, this is probably the longest episode we've ever done. Uh, so, I guess... You can find me on YouTube as ET13 Production. And you can find me on Twitter as ET13 Production. Jay, is there anywhere we can find you at? Unfortunately, at the moment, I don't have too many social media sites, but you should be able to find me on Twitter or ET's Discord channel. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to our very first commentary. Uh, thank you, Jay, for our to be our new uh, co-host. Um, I think you'll do very well. Uh, thank pleasure. you guys so pleasure. much. Uh, and I think this has been a pretty good discussion for the week. This has been your Kaiju Conversation Crew, where we talk big every week.